morning, COV. I'm excited to be with you through this playlist that we are continuing to offer as a church community because we want people to be able to engage with the sermon and children's ministry and worship and be able to know what's going on in the church, even though we will be meeting in person this week. But I want to encourage you also, as we are doing this playlist, that the people that come to the service and the people that watch it on the playlist, we can all kind of gather together on Zoom at 1130 later today on Sunday. Today, we're beginning a new series called Why We Do What We Do, a behind-the-scenes look at Colossians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Colossae just east of Laodicea, which is a church we hear about in Revelation, about 100 miles east of the church of Ephesus. Both cities that were significantly better, uh, well, yeah, I guess better, but mostly bigger and more well-known in this time period than Colossae. Paul was probably writing this letter while imprisoned in Rome, which is the general consensus, even though Paul does not directly state where he is imprisoned during the writing of this letter. But as we jump into the book of Colossians, I want to explain the reason that we called this series Why We Do What We Do. It's because as we have studied God's word together for many of us for many years, one thing that is pointed out often is the reality that motivation matters. It's central because where many religions and cults miss it is that they make it more about what you do and what you don't do than whose you are and why you do what you do for him. And I want us to never forget that. And at the same time, be reminded of is that Paul writes this letter to the church that it had begun, uh, uh, had originally started through his preaching in Ephesus. And now the work that had been done had been carried through all the way to the small town, which was about 100 miles away. Every epistle or letter written to the churches, especially by Paul and others in the New Testament, address some type of false teaching. For many of the letters, they seem to have to correct Judaizers that believed you would have to keep the Jewish law on top of, by faith, trusting Jesus as Lord. Or Gnosticism, which was a cultish belief that matter, physical matter, anything physical was bad. And so Jesus couldn't be God because he came in a, as a physical man. But what we're going to talk about today and what Paul is addressing to the church in Colossae is syncretism. Syncretism may not be a word many of us use or actually even know. Syncretism is something that is still very alive in the church today. Syncretism was the spiritual practice of adding what you liked to your faith. So many people in Colossae might believe in Jesus, but they also saw neighbors and new people who had worship of Greek gods or of the Roman emperor or even of angels and magic, and they just added it to their Christian belief. But what we will see through this book of the Bible as Paul is addressing is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Nothing more, nothing less. We don't need to add to the gospel. We don't need to exalt angels. We don't need to make Jesus more attractive. See, it's all about him, and he is beautiful when you realize who he truly is. And we get to read Paul's words written through the Holy Spirit to the church that he had specifically true affection for. But he was startled by their wanting to worship things that were not Christ. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 as we begin this wonderful letter. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, 
To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Paul begins with introducing himself as an apostle, and he often would do this in the letters that he would write to point out who he was to the church, especially to those churches who personally did not know him. Paul states that he is an apostle, a sent one that had been seen by Jesus alive after Jesus had died and resurrected, and but then he says that he is an apostle of Christ through the will of God. Now, God willed this. God controlled this. God wrote this story. This wasn't accidental or lucky. This was not happenstance, but God's glorious and perfect plan done through his will. What is God's will for my life? This is a question I think every single Christ-following, Bible-believing, sin-repenting believer asks at one point or another, or if we're honest, we really ask this question all the time. And even though this question is so frequent, especially when we have big decisions to make, we struggle to really know what God's will is. And we also struggle with how to try to find it in the first place. So stay tuned. I believe we can unpack the answer to this question through this passage as we continue in Colossians chapter 1. So Paul says that it was he and Timothy, the same young pastor of the church in Ephesus, the same Timothy that Paul writes two letters to in the scriptures towards the end of Paul's earthly ministry. This letter is written by the Holy Spirit using Paul to say and or pen this letter to the church in Colossae with greetings from Timothy as well. And then he points out who this letter is to to the believers in Colossae. But he doesn't just call them brothers and sisters. He points out their faithfulness because those who have trusted Christ are identified by God's mark of being faithful. Let me say that again. Those who have trusted Christ are identified by God's mark of being faithful. And once again, this isn't something we muster. This isn't something God, this, but this is something that God gifts his children with a want and a desire and a heart to want to be faithful to him, not because of how good we are, but because of how good God is. That's why faithfulness is such a big deal in Christianity. Those who miss the motivation, those who are ensnared by religion, think that faithfulness is about the gift user and not the gift giver. And we are marked as God's people as we grow more and more faithful to him. But this isn't natural. In fact, it's supernatural, and it is a work of God's Spirit in God's children. And Paul ends, at least this greeting, with grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, I'd cover that, but I think Spencer did an awesome job pointing out what that saying really means in the last sermon of the First Peter series. So if you want to know more about that, go and check out his message. But Paul wishes goodness and grace and peace to these faithful believers. And then he goes on and he's going to go on and he's going to, I'm going to read this in its entirety. It is one of those really long run-on sentences that Paul had. And here's how it starts in verse three. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Now I read that entire passage 
not just in itemized verses for a reason, because Paul is continuing his encouragement to these faithful believers or to these faithful believers in Colossae. And even though it's a pretty run-on sentence until that first period, I want us to unpack this. We always thank God, Paul says. I love this because I think our society is so fixated on making things about other people, but these brothers and sisters in the faith, they are an encouragement to Paul and to Timothy and others, but not because of their existence, but because of God's work through them. Let me say it another way. I love Pastor Mike. He is one of my dearest friends. He loves Jesus. He loves his family, and he loves the truth of the word, and he loves you. And he does things that are great for me and for my family and for the community. But you know what? He has breath in his lungs, not because he willed it, but because God allowed it. And so I give thanks to God for Mike. Let me say it another way. I love Barbara. She has been a part of this church family way before I was even born. She adores the traditions of the church. She loves music. She loves each of you and she is flexible. But most importantly, she loves Jesus. She stayed on staff years after she thought she would retire because this new pastor who really loves change came on to staff, but she stayed. And I thank God for her and her friendship and her heart for this community. I know we tend to want to give credit where credit is due, but we often in our idol-driven culture don't give credit to God. We don't give credit to the creator, but we exalt and we worship the creation. And that's some caveman ridiculousness, if you ask me. Oh, fire. <laughs> Paul is giving thanks for these Colossians because they are a gift from God. But look at what God has done through them. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all of God's people, he says. We've heard of your faith. Dang. I want my reputation to be one that precedes me, not because of some action, but because of God's salvation being obvious in my life. I want my faith, my belief that stirs me towards love to be seen and heard about and precede me. And Paul thanks God for these believers whose faith is being talked about. And not just faith, but their love for all of God's people. All right, I'm out. Christians tend to irk me. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't give us any concessions when it comes to, do we get to choose who is God's people? Nope. So if someone identifies with Christ, we as God's people are to love them and God is to work out if they or we are genuine. And guess what? If they aren't our brother, you're still supposed to love them. So we as followers don't get an escape clause if someone has bad behavior. And since we're not saved by works, we can't discriminate because of someone's work either. I don't like what I just said because I want to pull the, well, they don't believe in the gospel or they don't see Jesus as important or central as they ought to. But guess what? I didn't get saved because of my impeccable theology. I got saved through my perfect Savior. And God is the one who does work in his people. And he changes us and he transforms us and he grows us to look more like Jesus. And so even if we don't have the same emphasis all the time, we are to love them. So I'd contend that Paul is making a pretty good argument for an example of what a Christian ought to look like. One whose faith is heard about and love for God's people is apparent. Verse 5, 
the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. This faith and love that springs comes out of, catalyzed by our hope, stored up in heaven through hearing the true message of the gospel. We as a staff have been going through this letter of Colossians for the past few weeks, even before I had any inkling that we would study this as a church body. And each of us have, were a part of a cohort that we meet with during the second half of our staff meeting. And it was so cool to ask those in my cohort the other week, which is Malik and Moises, about when they first heard the true message of the gospel. Often for us, we get so detached from when we first believed that we forget about the beauty of God when he first removes the veil from our eyes. It's when that light bulb moment first happens, when we thought we were saved by what we did, but then all of a sudden grace takes its place. So we're absolutely in love with God because we understand the sacrifice that was made so that we, a sinner, could have right standing with God. Not because of our effort, but because of God's gift of grace. See, God's word comes alive. God doesn't seem distant anymore. He trades our need to earn for a want to just love and obey him. That's what it's like when the gospel first takes root. And for most of us, time and attrition and our sin tend to numb the excitement of this new spiritual reality over time. In verse 6, Paul says, That has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. See, this gospel spreads. This gospel bears fruit. This gospel changes everything, everywhere, because it is available to anyone who has the ears to hear. Now, it's kind of difficult to make a correlation between a virus, any virus, and the gospel. But the thing is that we are relational people who in 2020 have been asked to find new ways to safely make and maintain relationships that most of us have really struggled with doing so during this pandemic. But the gospel can and does spread even more than an aerosol virus because it, as scripture tells us, this message is all about a person who is the life and the light to all men and women who would believe. In 1 John, uh, the book of 1 John, John writes, the apostle John writes this in verse one through five. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And so we once again point to the fact that the message we proclaim isn't just a bunch of facts but it is an invitation to know a person named Jesus who makes it so dead people can come alive. Continuing in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. 
Epaphras started three churches in three cities that are very close to one another in Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. And we see this in verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, in chapter 4, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras was a baller, but not him, the spirit in him. So if your takeaway is that the Holy Spirit is a baller because he points to Jesus, I'm good with that. And Epaphras was one of was someone who we believe came to faith through the preaching of Paul, probably in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, it says this, and starting in verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And that was the context. And so we're going to skip to verse 9. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Epaphras was the one who began these churches. And as Paul proclaims, he, that, uh, that Epaphras actually heard the gospel from Paul. What a testimony. For Paul to point out that they heard the true message of the gospel through Epaphras. I hope that this will be my legacy. Even though I know it isn't about us, it's not about an individual, it's not about me, I want my legacy to be one that pointed people to Christ through my words, both pointing out the gospel and confessing my sinful nature, but reciting all the way, but God, until the day I die. Back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible out, underline this verse because this is something that we're definitely going to unpack. For this reason, this could mean a few different things. The people's connection to Epaphras their knowledge of the true message of the gospel, or their love in the spirit, the bond that one can have with other believers. Not because of our theology, but because of the spirit, the Holy Spirit working in us and the love that supernaturally comes from him indwelling us is radical. It's revolutionary. And it's what I think Paul is pointing to as they say that they have continued to pray for this church community. Paul is called a lot of things. He's the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a church planner. He's an evangelist. But I think these words in Colossians really point out a pastor's heart for God's people. We have never stopped praying for you, he says. I don't know what increases your prayer life, but a pandemic, not knowing how to do things well as a pastor in a pandemic, and utter reliance on God through a difficult season has done wonders for my prayer life. And guess who the majority of those prayers are for? You. Now, I'm not saying that so you guys will pat me on my back. Stay six feet away. But I say that because it's true. You come to mind. Your families come to mind. Your spiritual and physical needs come to mind. And I'm so grateful to God that during this pandemic, we've stayed as a church body pretty healthy and untouched, at least by the virus that can affect any and everyone. But like Paul, I want to pray for you. 
I want to pray what he prayed for the Colossians. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now think about this for a second. Knowledge of his will. What a blessing this would be to know at every turn you knew God's will. To not have to second guess your feelings or question your decisions, but to know God's will would be amazing, but it isn't always predictable. There's no formula that is simple. It's all about walking with the Lord daily, investing in and being invested in by the Lord in prayer and his word and worship both musically and as, as a living sacrifice. And in all of our time spent with and in the Lord, his will and purpose becomes more and more clear, like knowing the body language of a spouse. Familiarity sets in as we spend time with him. But a lot of us want that magic pill. We want the formula to know God's will, but it doesn't work that way. It takes time and effort, and most importantly, relationship with God through his son, led by his spirit to become more and more familiar with God, reading his word, dissecting his word, not to become a scholar, but to become more and more familiar with God. But here's the thing, it's not just reading his word, because guess what? You and I can interpret the scriptures incorrectly based on our wants and based on our flesh. But to know God's will is to be familiar with God, not like an acquaintance, but like someone you've done a lot of life with. So it takes a lot more than just reading the Bible and memorizing it, but it takes dissecting it, spending time in prayer, submitting, applying what you're learning through the word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, rejoice always. Pray continually, or in ESV, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is not a formula to earn God's will for your life. This is God's will for your life, to be in relationship, to be more and more familiar with God as we rejoice, as we pray, and as we give thanks to him. This is what the Spirit of God enables in his people. And Proverbs chapter three, verses five through six, a phenomenal proverb says it this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Don't miss that part. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. See, submission to God out of love makes us more and more familiar with God. So not only do we love God back in our obedience, But in our relationship with him, he becomes more and more normalized in our daily lives. So Paul prays that the Colossians would have the knowledge of the will of God through the spirit of God. And he continues in verse 10 and says it this way, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Living a life worthy of the Lord. Pause. Because I don't want us to read this as earning or attaining, but as we study in just a moment, God is the one that qualifies us. We don't earn anything. Our relationship with God isn't because we did something awesome or because we're awesome or we bring anything to the table that would make us more desirable to God than the person next to us. But God, 
being rich in mercy. Let me read to you how Paul says it in Ephesians 2. All of us also have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So our worthiness has nothing to do with our goodness, but because of God's grace. And through embracing this grace, we live a life worthy of the Lord while pleasing him and bearing fruit in every good work that we do in obedience to our perfect and holy God. While growing in knowledge of our God, not just about God, but knowing him by walking with him and experiencing him and personally knowing God through our work and our obedience and our love. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Being strengthened, not based on our might and ability, but based on God's glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience. This is something that is not a gift based on our ability to be patient or endure but one that comes from the Spirit, tested and refined through circumstance out of the abundance of the gift giver in God the Father. In verse 12, he continues, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And it is this Father that we give thanks to for the fact that he is the one that qualified us. We didn't do it ourselves, nor is the gospel about earning, but all because God in his immeasurable grace decided to make us worthy and qualified to do his good and pleasing will. You may have heard it said before that God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. And there is truth to that. But we don't do enough to be called by God, to know and serve him. He shows off his mercy and grace by calling people who are not qualified by the world's standards or logic to be devoted followers of Christ. That's why arrogance and a relationship with God should always be in conflict. Because we cannot look to our abilities or earning potential as our reason for our status in the kingdom. It has always been and always will be unashamedly and unapologetically a work of God and his grace. And as we, as God's people, his holy and chosen people get to share in the inheritance of our heavenly father, we are a people, a family, a people who are in a kingdom of light submitted to King Jesus King. Here's how we'll conclude verse 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this is the kingdom of light, which is in contrast to the dominion of darkness that every follower of Jesus has been rescued out of and into the kingdom of God, led by the son in the flesh, who God the Father loves and has gifted to us as the king of the kingdom of God, in whom we have redemption through the forgiveness of our sins because of Christ's payment of his life. So my prayer for us as a people is simply that we would become more and more familiar with God so as to know his good and pleasing will for our lives. Our motivation matters. 
we can do a lot of religious activity and never, ever really get to know God. I'll spare you the story. Many of you have heard me tell it before, but like when I met Steph Curry, I knew of him, but I didn't know him. I could tell him all of his own stats. I can tell you his stats, but I didn't know what he was really like. And for far too many of us, we feel the same way about God because we are so focused on knowing a lot about him regarding his word and being able to regurgitate it. We don't sit with him. We don't pursue him. We don't want to be with him just for him. When I was 20 years old, I came to faith and my future wife, Erin, stood on the stage of a worship center similar to the one behind me. She was helping lead worship and when I felt as if God in that moment, as they were singing, shout to the Lord, I felt as if God put his arm around me for the first time. And when that happened, I saw my blonde future wife singing. We were just friends at the time, but I got to know her better and better. And at first it wasn't because I wanted to date her, but actually because she was good friends with a girl who had just broken up with me. That's a different story for a different time. But stay with me. Aaron and I began a friendship that was not romantic. We got to know one another. We spent time with each other. We communicated often. And over time, I fell deeply in love with Aaron Lee Deal from the Cupertino part of San Jose. I remember what it was like in our early years. And here's the truth. I wouldn't trade 17 years of marriage, four kids with a fifth on its way, nine about to be 10 different moves, three dogs, way too many cars, and a lifetime of memories built up thus far for anything. You know why? Because I am so familiar with her. I know her body language. I know how she tends to respond to things. I know her likes and her dislikes. I know how to push her buttons, but I also know how to affirm her in the way that she likes. By the way, this isn't one of those ways. <laughs> but my point is, I know her because of the effort and pursuit it takes to know someone. And I do it because I have fallen more in love with her as I've gotten to know the good, the bad, and the not so pretty things about a person who is my person. Our relationship with God is considerably more important than even my marriage. Sorry, babe, but I know you feel the same way. And it isn't a read a verse each day, say a prayer at night, go to church once a week kind of relationship. It requires pursuit. It requires a daily dying to oneself. It requires sacrifice. It requires faith. The time spent with God, that even though I can't see him all the time, is worth it. Because as you do, as we do, you become more and more familiar. You become more and more close to. You become more and more consistent with the God of the universe who saved a wretch like me. So COV, I pray for you. And as, and us, that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that we can walk in God's will, obeying him through the Spirit-inspired love, and show off his goodness with sharing the most important message the world could ever hear, that we're not good, but God qualifies us and makes us his own through the person and work of his son, Jesus. And as we pursue Christ, we look more and more like him, and we know him, and we get to be more like him significantly over time. That's my message. 
And I want to encourage us as a community that we can respond in a bunch of different ways. In this playlist, there's going to be an opportunity to worship right after this. I'd encourage you to get into a posture of singing worship and be prepared to praise our Lord. Another way that we can respond is in offering, not because we have to give money to keep the lights on, but because we trust that everything is God's in the first place. And so I'd encourage us to give cheerfully because we trust God. And you can do that two ways by either mailing a check to COV to our address and we will deposit it, or you can go to COV uh, or covalley.com forward slash giving, and you can register to do it on there. But the fact is that if you just do it out of habit or you just do it because you feel like you have to, you've missed the worship in it. It's an opportunity to worship God because we understand that everything that we have is the Lord's. And when we give a percentage back, we are just showing that we do not live this life for our money or our pleasure or what we can attain, but we understand that the gospel is all because of grace. And so it's easy to give back because God first gave to us. So I'm gonna pray for us. And I pray that we as a community would be encouraged by the fact that as we start this letter, the book of Colossians, as we start to study this, I pray that we would be a people that would allow God's word to transform us and not get in the way of it, not squelch the spirit, not try to do things our own way, but out of love, we would obey God and we would walk in his will as we become more and more familiar with him. So let's pray. If you don't mind, would you, wherever you are, even though it's pre-recorded, would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for each person who is watching this playlist. And I pray, God, as your word uh, comes alive in my life, I pray that it would continue to do that in those who hear this. I pray for those that are yet to truly repent of their sin and turn to you, God. I pray that you would give them the faith to do so, and they would trust you and, and chase after you with all their heart, and that they would tell somebody and be discipled. And Lord, I pray for this offering that... Uh, that we trust that you're going to use, God. We ask that you would use it to grow men and women and children more into your likeness, that we would be, uh, we would use it with good discernment, your resources for your kingdom. Thank you, God, for your people that want to pursue you in a bunch of different ways. And I pray that your will would be something that is obvious to more and more of us as we chase after you. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus's powerful name, amen.